The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. The scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians 12, um, where it's talking about spiritual gifts in the body, one body, many members. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? And as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret, but earnestly desire the greater gifts? And I will show you a still more excellent way. Um, wait, what, do you, what am I supposed to say? <laughs> I was like, what is it I say? I know how to respond. I don't know what you say. <laughs> this is the word of the Lord. <laughs> Woo, okay. I am delighted to be here with you today. I knew you all were in trouble when I got a text message this week and said, can you preach this upcoming Sunday? I knew you are all in trouble. I knew I was at the bottom of the list. It's, uh, it's nice to see you all. My name is Colin Hansen, and um, I just uh, live over practically on uh, Valley Ave when it turns into 21st Street. Uh, I live off 22nd English Village Lane over there. And so it's, uh, I've known Jonathan for a number of years. I've uh, met a number of you on civil rights tours around Birmingham, and, and uh, maybe you've heard me on the Shades podcast, or that's part of my Day job is uh, as vice president of content and editor-in-chief of the Gospel Coalition, where I host the Gospel Bound podcast. And then also, um, I chair the board, of, board at Beeson Divinity School and teach in cultural apologetics there. So, uh, we'll have a good time here this morning, I trust, under the Lord's guidance. So, let's seek Him together in prayer. God, I thank You for this wonderful body that You have knit together, many parts, through one spirit. I thank you for the leaders who model your love 
and every member who contributes in unique ways, all working together for your glory. God, I pray that you would illumine your word and bless the time that we share together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So make sure you you keep 1 Corinthians 12 open as we will walk through that passage here over the next uh, 30 minutes or so. Uh, Now, my job as a guest preacher is actually pretty, pretty easy. Uh, Despite the last minute notice, it's pretty easy. Hopefully, all God needs to do is give me a few helpful words to say, and I am on my way. I go right back down over to English Village. Just about anyone can make a good impression in one sermon. If you've got a little practice, it's not the most difficult thing in the world. Now, the preacher who stands before you, though, week after week, That's the hard job because it's the the familiarity. It's the familiarity that makes it so difficult. It's not just the challenge of coming up with something new and interesting every single week to say, though that is difficult. It's living in community together. It's living in community together. It's getting to know each other over over the years as you observe your preacher's flaws or the flaws in his family is seeing that he himself does not always live up to what he preaches. And trust me, there is no one who knows all of that better than the person who stands right here each morning. It is one thing to be loved, but it is another thing to be known. What we all want in this life is to be known and loved by the same people to be known and loved by the same people. That is the challenge. We think we love, but in some cases it's because we don't even really know. We get to know, and as we get to know, we struggle to love. You might think that you love me. It's only because you haven't gotten to know me that well. I can make a good impression on a podcast or preaching here. Same goes for your favorite author, televangelist, podcast preacher. You will always see them at their best But your pastors, they don't have that luxury, and neither do you. Of course, your pastor doesn't always see you at your best either. It is hard to keep loving each other over the years as we get to know each other better. The text we've read this morning comes from the Apostle Paul's letter to a church that has been torn apart, torn apart by divisions. They were ineffective in their witness to Christ among their neighbors, because they struggle to realize the kind of community that is created by the gospel of Jesus Christ. A community where everyone can be known and loved. The church in Corinth was beset by factions. It was a proud city that loved strong personalities. But in this star-struck city that demanded signs and wonders and words of wisdom, Paul instead came offering a stumbling block. He did not play their game. He gave them Christ crucified for sin and raised from the dead according to the Scripture. He told them in 1 Corinthians 1.25, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now I could drop into Shades Valley and say many flattering things. It's obviously what a grateful guest would do. But that is not what 
Paul did. He knew them too well. He loved them too much. He did not flatter the Corinthians. He observed that not many of them were wise, not many powerful, not many noble in the eyes of the world. They weren't from the right side of the mountain. No problem, though. He explained in 1 Corinthians 1.27, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Now our passage picks up a number of chapters later, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 31. Make sure you keep your finger there. Based on reports that he had received, Paul realized that his teaching on gospel community had not sunk in. Unity had been undercut in more ways than we can recount. There were factions that tore them apart. Some got drunk while others starved at the Lord's Supper. And scandal inside the church made even outsiders blush because a man slept with his father's wife. It was not a good situation. So in our passage, 1 Corinthians 12, 12-31, Paul told them what genuine gospel community looks like. What it means to be known and loved at the same time. And what characterizes a unified church. We'll see that the church of Christ shows our unity in the diversity of our spiritual gifts. I'll say that again. We'll see that the church of Christ shows our unity in the diversity of our spiritual gifts. And when we know that God has given the same Spirit, the same Spirit to everyone in our church, then we will love them as He does. I'll say that again as well. When we know that God has given the same Spirit to everyone in the church, then we will love them. We will love everyone as He does. So again, let's work through 1 Corinthians 12. 12 to 31. Let's start by looking at the source of our unity. In verses 12 and 13, we see that we find unity in the Spirit, in the body of Christ. Well, how? Look at verse 13, baptism. Baptism here refers, it's a shorthand by Paul, for salvation. Salvation being that all are guilty of sin under law, all can be forgiven of sin under grace if we repent, turn away from our sin, and believe in Jesus. And when we believe, the Spirit unites us to Christ and to one another in the body of Christ, the church. So our church finds unity, of course, in our common baptism, our salvation from sin and death. Now maybe that's a story, a message that's well familiar to you, so let's test run a little stress test here on this unity let's find out if you can if you if you if you if you share that same spirit if you share that share that same understanding let's look to see if you have that grasp of grace here's a little test do you associate with those people who sin differently than you do do you associate with those people who sin differently than you do Anyone can associate with people who share the same interests, people who have the same strengths, who have the same weaknesses. But can you get along with someone with different temptations? 
Now, baptism it does not eliminate our sin. We continue to wage war against the flesh. And that's what often makes church so difficult to know and love at the same time. It's our ongoing battle against sin. I meet many young Christians. I was an elder for many years at Redeemer Community Church in Avondale. My wife has recently shifted to be women's minister at Iron City Church on Southside. But over the years, I've probably talked with, I mean, hundreds at this point of young Christians coming into our church. And many of them show up to church shocked that Christians are people who still sin against each other. It's one of the most disaffecting things about church. It's not like when we're baptized, when we're saved from our sin, that we lose our personalities or lose our strengths and weaknesses. And we don't entirely shed the sin that intermingles within all of that either. Justification happens in that moment of salvation, but sanctification is over the course of a lifetime until Christ calls us home or until He returns face to face. Just think about these examples. This is how I've, I've learned to describe how these dynamics often play out in a church. Let's imagine, see where you might fit into this scheme. So imagine that in the Spirit, you've been gifted especially to be able to discern right from wrong, good doctrine from bad. You're the person people turn to in Bible study when they've got the question. All right? Theology is your expertise. But in the flesh, you're tempted to judge those who are doubting, judge those who are hurting. Your struggle is to love those who are weak in the faith. The challenge for you then is can you show unity in the body by showing them compassion? Can you foster that unity by showing them compassion? Is the same grace that saved you sufficient to save everyone else also? Or you might be different. You're the kind of person who gets things done. You are the fixer. You're the planner. You're the person people call when something's wrong in their house. They're not going to ask you a question in Bible study, but they'll ask you a question about plumbing. All right? You don't necessarily read a lot, but you, you still want to see the church thrive and grow. The question then for you, can you slow down and show mercy to those who are vulnerable, to the homeless, and to the helpless, to the people who have not made the right choices in their life? And can you at the same time honor those theologians who pour over the Bible to help us know what it means when it looks to you like they're just debating a bunch of meaningless babble. But that's what unity in the Spirit demands of you. Or you're full of, you think of a third kind of person, you're full of compassion for the poor. You're drawn to, attracted to the outcasts and to the abused. You're the one who's always in, in a room like this. You're always looking to see who's on the margins, to see who doesn't look like they quite fit. You never miss if someone is left out in church. That's great. I love that. But can you also love those people who support the church in other ways, the people who are the bankers, the doctors, the lawyers? Can you respect their vocations and the demands on their time and urge them to live out their callings in Christ in distinctive ways. 
You see, in all these things, when we wonder, as we get to know each other, can we still love in the Spirit? You see, that it's easier to only associate with our own, those people who have our same strengths, who have our same weaknesses. But there's a different word for what we do when we only associate with our own. That's just called community. You don't need the gospel to be able to have those kinds of relationships. You can find that over in my neck of the woods at any country club. You can find it over here on any youth athletic field. Again, it's not gospel community. You don't need the Spirit to get along with people you already naturally like or where you're working at common purpose or where they can do something that is advantageous for you. But the Spirit on the contrary, gives us everything we need to love everyone who is known by God, who sees all, who knows all. Look again at verse 14 with me. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Maybe this goes without saying, but there is no church with only one member. Um, near where I grew up in southeastern South Dakota, there is a town called Monowai, Nebraska, population one. There is no first church of Monowai, Nebraska. And there is at the same time no member with every gift. This is very humbling, perhaps. Look at verse 15. Paul just, it seems like he starts randomly naming body parts just to prove his point. Um, I think maybe a way to paraphrase this would be that a church full of feet just stinks. Thought about that as a sermon title? Maybe. Should have gone that way. Or you can also say if a church where everyone speaks in tongues is a babble of confusion. The point is the foot needs the hand. The ears need the eyes. If you have that discerning ear for truth, then you need the eyes that see those neighbors in compassion. If you're quick to offer and extend the hand of mercy, you know that you need the feet that that remind you, that warn you when to flee temptation. So when can we then, put this all together, when can we be known and loved? When can we enjoy unity in the church, it's when we realize the common source of our diverse gifts, which is the Spirit. You did not earn your salvation with your courage or your compassion or your conviction. You are saved solely because you have been baptized. Verse 12 says we have, been, we have drunk, or you could say we've been doused by the same Spirit the only Spirit, He is God. And let's do a quick reminder of, of what kind of God brings all kinds of people together. He is the Spirit of life who sets us free in Christ Jesus from sin and death. That's Romans 8, 2. Or Romans eight eleven. He is the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead and now dwells in all who believe. He is the Spirit who testifies that we belong to the family of God as heirs with Christ. Romans 8, 17. 
And in 1 Corinthians 12, 11, the Spirit gives us diverse gifts according to His will, just the way He wished to, give the body of, to, to make the body of Christ that God always wanted. Now when we share this same Spirit, when we realize that everything we have is sheer gift, then we can't look down on every, anyone else for being different from us. And I can't envy you for having the gift that I wish I had or that I wanted. He may have made me more courageous. He may have made you more compassionate. But knowing that and knowing our differences actually helps me to love you and to value you. And this is God's plan then for unity in our diversity. Now, I don't know enough about Shades Valley to know all of your strengths and weaknesses individually, surely, or even as a church, but I know at least the church in Corinth that we're studying here this morning had a problem with elitism. And their elitism created a, a corresponding problem of inferiority. There were clearly some people who felt less important, less known, less loved. So how did Paul address the problem? Let's look at verse 22. The parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. The parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Now, you can see the big difference between any regular old country club community and gospel community. The church is the place where we give no greater honor to the rich, to the outspoken, to the powerful, to the well-connected. In fact, in the body of Christ, we celebrate the weak. We celebrate the lonely. We celebrate the poor in spirit. If you want unity in your church, then celebrate this diversity. Deflect attention and accolades to other people in your church. It's nice to be the guy that they call desperately to pitch in and, and help, especially if you're a guest. But you know, we all know, that this whole place would fall apart this morning without the volunteers who are taking care of our children. Amen? The Spirit gives preachers what Paul describes in this passage as the higher gift. The higher gift of teaching and writing. But we all know reality. You would much sooner live without me than with the garbage man. You would much sooner live without me. You can do without me. You have God's Spirit. You can't live without the garbage man. I am helpless without the guy who comes over and fixes my Wi-Fi when it breaks. I think about years ago, I, my wife and I lived in Chicago for more than a decade, and Chicago erupted before we got there in one of the most memorable political catastrophes in history, which is, you know, saying something. Um, certainly for Chicago, the Windy City, well, what happened? Well, they didn't get the plows running during a big snowstorm. You see, it is not the mayor who runs Chicago. It's the fleet of truck drivers. And if we saw anything in the last few years of pandemic, it's the same thing 
those essential workers are the folks pulling out all hours from Amazon in Bessemer or Crestwood. This perspective, I think, explains Paul's rather strange comments in verses 23 and 24. You might think that it's the eyes and the ears that are the most important. But interestingly, Paul tells us it's the parts of the body that we cover, that we cover with clothing, that are more essential to our survival. And it makes sense because, of course, we know you can have a high quality of life without sight or without hearing, but not without a heart or without lungs. Everyone feels known and loved then in a church that finds unity in the Spirit, that values everyone, that, that honors those people who have the gifts that other people in the world might overlook. Because a church that is unified in the Spirit knows that everyone has a job to do. Everyone has a divine mission from God Himself. And the church will only work when everyone is playing that part. Now I've given you, I think, perhaps here, a few suggestions on ways that you can celebrate unity in the diversity of spiritual gifts, but... This is not primarily a message of advice on community. In fact, this is, there's really good news. There's gospel as you engage in this task of, of knowing and loving. Because in 1 Corinthians 12, what's so fascinating is that Paul is not issuing a command so much as go and do this. It's, it's not an aspiration. It is the reality. It is already made by the Spirit, it is something that we live out, not that we live up to. It is something that we live out in the body of Christ. You are not only part of that body at Shades Valley Community Church, just like the church in Corinth, as Paul reminded them, you are that body of Christ. It has already been completed. And take a look then at verse 26. Who wouldn't want to be part of of that kind of community? Who wouldn't want to be part of that kind of community? Who wouldn't want to be known and loved at Shades as you suffer with the suffering and as you rejoice with the rejoicing? I had a couple people mention to me that you listened to the Gospel Bound podcast. Thank you. Uh, one of my favorite episodes this last year was talking with Jonathan Charks, who is an NBA writer. For the ringer, he's in his mid-30s. He's got a son who was born just after COVID, the COVID shutdown in March 2020, and he was diagnosed with terminal cancer. In fact, when I had talked with him that week, um, he was kind of kind of a closed off a little bit about some things, and only after the interview did he tell me he got bad news essentially that week that he was there was nothing left. There were no treatments possible. For him any longer in his mid-30s with a small son. He'd written one of the most remarkable pieces I've ever read, and it was for this website, The Ringer, led by Bill Simmons, one of the most famous and influential sports writers of the last 25 years. And he wrote it the entire thing. It was all about, it was a message to his friends saying, when you get to heaven, I'll ask you one question. 
did, did my son know you? Did my son know you? Because he knows he's, he's going to be gone. He's not going to be here to take care of his son. And so that's what he's going to ask his, his friends. And he said that he lost his own father as a young man. And all of those buddies of his dad from the golf course or from work or wherever else, they made promises, but they didn't follow up. He felt alone. He said he's not going to let that happen to his son. But he said that's what people don't understand about community today. They think that through fitness or through uh, online chats or wherever that you can build this community or through sports that you can build that kind of community. But he says when it gets to be the most difficult thing of losing your son or, or, or dying yourself and leaving behind your wife and son, there's only the church. Only the church is going to be that place where these different men can step in as fathers, where all these other women can step in and support his wife, his widow. And I think that's absolutely the case. And when the church acts that way, when when we're known and loved in the church, in the body of Christ, that kind of community is evangelistically powerful. At a time when we have pulled apart in so many ways as a culture, And as a community, when so many people don't know where they fit, who wouldn't want to be a part of the kind of church that the Apostle Paul has talked about us, has talked about that we've read about here today? Christ has not just died to bring you to himself by forgiving your sin, as important as that is. He also gave his body to create this body of Shades Valley. And what can you do then in response to a gift like this? It's simply to share that gift with others. To share that gift of salvation. To share that gift of your your particular talents and abilities. Your time and your treasure. Let the church know you so that those sitting around you can love you. And you do that by drawing near to the suffering by rejoicing with the rejoicing. I hope you already feel known and loved in this church. Knowing Jonathan, knowing your leaders, I suspect that many of you already do. And maybe you're already doing a lot to build up this community. And if so, we all thank you and honor you for that. Whether it's teaching in a, in a small group or cleaning up a kitchen, following a meal, everything you do according to the Spirit at work, in you honors Christ. I think, uh, I think I'm the only person that I've ever met who was actually fired from volunteering with two and three-year-olds. So it's before I had kids. I didn't know what I was doing. The kids somehow got out. They were beating up on me. They got out. They walked out onto the stage during the sermon. It was a catastrophe. I was fired from that. So you know I appreciate the people doing that kind of work. You know, there's a saying, I'm sure you're familiar with it, that familiarity breeds contempt. But I don't believe that for a second because in the family of God, familiarity breeds love. Familiarity breeds love. That is why I believe that 1 Corinthians 13, that famous passage about love, is what follows our passage this morning. 1 Corinthians 12. 
Because love is the more excellent way. Amid our struggle in the church, love never ends. Not when it's from the Spirit. Not when it honors Jesus. Not when it seeks to glorify the Father. Friends, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are working unity together in your church now through your diversity of spiritual gifts. And when God gets that glory, we get the joy of being known and loved. And we get to experience then the wonder of gospel community. Let's pray.